Welcome to the Bullpen Session. This is Patrick Lillis. Glad you're here. Glad you're listening. Glad everyone's okay. Hope you are. First episode after Thanksgiving. Hope everybody had a wonderful holiday. Truly my favorite holiday. Uh, just the idea that, you know, you celebrate with whoever you are with and you give thanks. That's the that's the premise that I take to it. And you know, this year I'm really grateful. I'm 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 I have a lot to be thankful for. One of one of the things I'm thankful for, you know, is that the pandemic is ending and or feels I don't know if it's ending, you know, but it feels like we're I, I say that we're three quarters back, which means in the theater industry, that we're we're in person, we're starting to move forward with socializing and seeing people after plays and you know, there's a there's a little bit of momentum or a movement in it that seems slow and steady. And I'm thankful for that. And, you know, today's conversation is with Tim Erickson, artistic director of Boomerang Theater here in New York. And uh, Boomerang is, you know, it's an institution in indie theater. It's it's 23 years old. And, you know, I, I'm thankful to have the conversation with Tim, actually. It was, it was great because he's been around doing, you know, his own theater company for that long, but also starting out when I started to produce my own indie theater. Uh, we started at the same time and a great conversation reminding us about how we met at Center Stage, uh, a theater company that was incredibly important to a lot of us because it was an incubator and a home and literally a home. Like there was a lobby that not only was there performances in the lobby, but in the middle of the day, you could just go up and hang out in the lobby and you would not only see Jill and Jen who ran center stage but you would see people from other theater companies in rehearsal or hanging out or reading a script or you know it was just nice to have a physical home door open uh, for that much concentration of talent at that time and we talk a little bit about that during the conversation and it was it was and I was thankful to, you know I was talking about Thanksgiving I was thankful to hear what he's talking what he's thinking about how they're moving forward at this time and and coming out of the this period, what do you, you know, what they're working on. And I think it, it was good for me to talk to him as another artistic director. And also, I, I'm just so impressed with the 23 years because I think it's important to generate and create your own work. And I think a lot of, you know, it's important to do it as a one-off and, and produce independently. And I'm talked about the, you know, the challenges of staying and like, what does it take? What's the mission and values to last longer than we just want to put up this one play to see something, but we actually have a mission to sustain why we're doing what we're doing. And and also the challenges, because I think that's important for people who are starting out in a career to like not wait for the opportunity and to generate your own work. And we, we looked at challenges of what's, you know, generation that's coming out now and starting their career. And, and, you know, it was a good conversation just to look at like what are the challenges and also what's different. So it's really thoughtful and I'm happy to share it. I also wanted to share just thankfulness of, you know, getting to do this and thankful really when I say this, I mean the farm theater and all that it has to do. And also as I was talking thinking about Tim's longevity with Boomerang, also right before Thanksgiving I had a friend, John Yearly and Blair, great friends of mine and uh had a friend's giving and talking to a friend of theirs who's a casting director and you know who I realized it was 20 years ago almost that I worked with them and catching up and and talking about the industry today and then seeing another friend who I hadn't seen in 25 years uh that 
was in a play I directed, and it was just a it was a great gathering. But what I loved about the catching up and talking with people was realizing, and it's sort of something I say a lot, that you're we're all in this community and we're part of it, even when we don't see each other all the time. And also, it's a long you're going to be in it for a long time, and those friendships are real, and even if we don't see each other all the time because of geography, because of life, because different projects take us to work with different people. And it's really just thankful for that reminder and to know that, you know, uh, yeah, that it's, that it's <laughs> the other thing that makes me laugh when I think about gratitude is putting together my solo show and turning it into a film early in the spring. And one of the things I say about that, that show reminded me, and if I had something to say uh, as advice is to remind early career artists that, you know, you're going to survive a long time and, you know, take your time, pace yourself, and also appreciate the friendships. I was really grateful for that. But with that, I'm, I'm really happy to have got to talk to Tim and be reminded of Center Stage and, uh, and all of that great time around that. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. And with that, play ball. plan for Comedy of Errors as sort of the canary in the coal mine for how we would be able to produce at this particular time um, based on how to keep our actors safe, how to keep our audience safe, how to rehearse with constrictions and audience with restrictions in terms of space. Uh, and it went so well that we were ready, we feel confident in, in putting part two and three into play. So um, we have a new play that's going up in March. Leah Romeo's um, The Lucky Ones, um, which we're very excited about. Um, and uh, she is a, a college collaboration uh, alum. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that we're going to be able to both get a chance to have work with her a little bit this year. Yeah, she's, she's uh, a great she's collaborator. Wonderful. A great writer, yeah. obviously, but a great collaborator. And uh, I'm excited that you're doing her play. Yeah, me too. And it's a it's a wonderful play. We did a reading of it before pandemic, obviously in the hinter times, and uh, it was just so well done. And uh, it's a play about two with two women at its center, um, and uh, sort of the a story about women's friendship and the evolution of women's friendship uh, as they age and as they sort of uh, change careers and statuses and um, high status, low status, how that flips at times based on a variety of different factors. So it's, and it's also very funny. So, uh, so we're doing that. And then coming up in May, we are doing uh, Adam Krar's play, The Karpovsky Variations. Um, and that is a play about uh, a young woman who is the, the, the daughter of a family of musicians, of klezmer musicians. And uh, they, the, the family is sort of far flung around the world and they happen to catch up with each other in airport lounges uh, as they're all flying off to different places. And so the daughter is trying to connect with all of these uncles and fathers and grandmothers who are all over the world and sort of trying to find her way as a musician or as a daughter or as a niece or as a human being when all the things that tether her are often far flung around the around the globe and how does she sort of connect to those things um and that's coming up in in may so it's it's a busy busy spring um and where 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 are you doing the play where's leah's play gonna be uh leah's play is gonna be at the chain 
Okay. on 36th and then adam's play is going to be at the art new york theaters uh on 53rd street nice and yeah i sort of was asking because of the idea of moving indoors and uh and producing and and all the you, you and i talked last week actually on your show and um uh just the challenges of producing at this point of the unknown of who your audience is who's coming back who's ready and hopefully by march that'll be fluid and worked out you know, we, uh, it's, such a, it's such a mystery um, because, I, you know, Comedy of Errors, which we just finished in a run in September, was coming off of what I think is sort of the high of everyone being outdoors and sort of being feeling good about the world and warm weather and uh, you know, all those things that kept our numbers relatively stable in New York City in terms of uh, vaccinations were up and things were up. As we get into the winter, I just don't know, you know. Um, with everyone being indoors and shorter days and more darkness. And uh, I don't know how the audience is going to feel about coming indoors for a show, but um, we're going to give it a shot and we'll see what happens, you know? Yeah, well, I, you know, I'll be there. So you have one ticket. <laughs> well, fantastic. It's on one ticket then. Great. One ticket, guaranteed. Um, <laughs> but it is brave and, 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 the, to, and, a, and a commitment because we're talking, you know, you and I acknowledge just even the challenges for Broadway and off Broadway and getting people in the habit. I'm hoping that, the muscle keeps getting stronger for people to show up. I'm going to jump back a little. What was the inspiration for starting, for, for saying, hey, we, I want to do this company and I want to be in New York and create work? Well, the funniest thing about it is at some point in my life, I determined that being an artistic director is the greatest job in the whole world. And I don't know where it came from and I don't know why it happened, but I just had the seed that being a person who could shepherd things from not being into being and also direct things and be able to schedule things together that speak to what you think are important it was the greatest job in the whole world sure somebody's got to pay for it but like putting those things together is just awesome and i as soon as i got out of college i started a theater company uh, with some friends and it lasted i think three years and it was sort of okay this is what it means to be out of college and sort of do a theater company. And like, everybody's so excited when you're 23 and 24 and you're like, yeah, we're in it. We're all going to be like, you know, in it all the way. And then at 26, 27, they're like, you know, this is great, but I really would like to make money or get a job or whatever. Uh, and so that ended and I came into the city and I was working for a theater company downtown. And I, I missed that, that idea of being able to, have a little bit more authority and control over what I wanted to present and how, when I wanted to present it and how it, how it was going to work. And so sometime around 1999, I was just like, I, I think I need to go back and, and bring that part of my vision of it into fruition. And so I gathered a bunch of people. And I had also seen at that time in New York city, there was a lot of history lesson for the, for, from the old heads coming. But uh, at that time, there was a lot of outdoor theater. We were still, the Lower East Side was still very fervent in terms of storefront theater. And so there was a lot of sense that you could just, if you had a couple of thousand dollars, you could do anything you wanted to do, you know? And I just thought, well, I have a couple thousand dollars. Like, let's do, let's throw it at something. I don't, I'm 26. I don't need it really. Let me just throw it at something and see what happens. And at the time, Gorilla Rep was a big company and they were doing a lot of work in, in Washington Square Park and they were doing free Shakespeare outside. And I was like, fantastic. Well, they can do it on a piece of pavement. I'm pretty sure I could do it on some grass in Central Park. And so we put up a show 
And I also had been studied, I had studied in London when I was in college um, and I got the advantage to spend a lot of time at the uh, Royal National Theater uh, on the South Bank. And one of the things that I loved that I'd never seen in my whole life was this idea of rotating repertory, of having one physical space and have three or four shows living in it at the same time. And I thought that's, that's insane and exciting. And like, from an audience standpoint, from a programming standpoint, if I went and saw Uncle Vanya on Thursday, well, I could go see Kiss Me Kate on Friday and then I could go see a new play on Saturday. And how freaking cool is that? And maybe sometimes it's with the same actors and maybe it's not. But when I got back to New York City and all of these, all of this seemed possible with a couple thousand dollars, one of the things I thought was, well, if my couple thousand dollars could get me one show, if I've got one space, what happens if I do three shows in that space at the same time in rotating repertory? And does my economy of scale sort of cover the, and suddenly to do, rather than have three shows each cost, you know, $2,000 and spend six total, I could spend, do three shows for maybe 4,500. And now all my friends work and everybody comes and how exciting is that? And I, you know, and so that started this idea of sort of rotating repertory. And it allowed us to get a lot of work done and put a lot of people to work and get a lot of new plays done, but also pair, again, because being artistic director is the greatest job in the whole world, uh, to pair a new play with a classic play that sort of maybe spoke to it or maybe didn't or maybe contrasted against it, but also with a play that I thought, this is a great play that no one has ever heard of. Why has no one ever heard of this play? Well, let's throw that in there too. And we're going to bounce them all off each other like pinballs. And let's just see what, what happens for an audience that way. Um, and that was the genesis of it. And uh, people responded to it. Actors loved it. Designers hated it. <laughs> Spaces loved it because they got a lot of you know, weeks rented. Um, audiences really liked it. Um, you think that's a really, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people don't do rep in New York, you know, like, and, it, yeah. and you do it, you know, we did it in summer rep, you know, because you get, uh, you know, gives people, they're in town for the weekend, they have a reason to come twice, you know? Yeah. And I, do you think that helped build momentum? I also wanted to say in the mission statement, when you said plays people might not know, I love the idea of neglected plays. And I also like mm -hmm. the idea of brash in the description of the plays. Yeah. Um, and I, do you think that idea of doing in rep helped early on to get traction? Like they didn't just come to like a one-off and then you have to see something six months later. Like there's a density of attendance showing up. There is a density of attendance. I think it really helped us from, an, from gathering momentum within our community because people could work a lot and people could see a lot of different things. And they were always in rehearsal. We, were always, we always had a pot on the stove. I think where, where it held us back just slightly is from an audience, uh, not our audience, from a marketing perspective. We often were asked by our press agent um, who was handling the rep, and they would often say, with the best of intentions, if I've got a reviewer and they were going to only have one night free, where am I steering them? Am I steering them to the new play, to the classic, to the play they've never heard of? Like, where should I send them? And we would have to often choose. And so I think that it's not a cannibalization, but it is sort of a you have three children and you know, who goes to private school and who goes to public school at that point, you know, like, yeah. um, and so there, I don't think our, I don't think the industry is always set up to handle that on a, on a, what, we, what was at the time and still is a very small scale, right. They only have four weeks to catch it. So they've got to come three times. And isn't that a challenge, you know, like, so I, I think it's interesting and it's a very noble experiment that may, that, that has paid off in a lot of ways, but also has its limitations. Yeah. It's really interesting because it, at that time, 
when you say that, I was actually one of the one of the questions of very inside baseball for the two of us is <laughs> is, um, is well the is the create right at that moment was the birth of also Martin Denton starting to doing reviewing online and sort of getting when you said getting reviewers because now major reviewers aren't going to these plays the more independently produced right. you know unless some uh, and you know unless some real lightning in a bottle gets struck you know is hit. Uh, then, and and we don't actually have a source for those reviews happening anymore because because now there's social media and so people are sharing information and connecting that way. Um, but there was a time at that point when it was, who do I steer, steer the reviewers to? How do I? And that was a great way of just promoting an indie work at a low you know, budget for $4,500 was getting a place to say, this person saw it and said it was good and getting it validated. Yeah. And I'm not sure what's happening now. You know, I'm like, how do people find? And I'm not sure they were finding plays then either. There's a lot of self-promotion of those reviews. You know, we were, yes. you'd get it and then tell uh, them. I don't know how people, you know, are finding. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know how people are finding things. Uh, an external audience, right? An internal audience, I think, gets all the feeds and gets all the email and does all those things and word of mouth. But the external audience, you know, when, when, you know, 2010 or so, when we really lost like coverage from Time Out, and we lost coverage from Martin Denton and Rochelle at a certain point, and we lost, you know, they've been replaced by small things, but nobody could really replace those two big behemoths of, of coverage. And I, you know, show score was a thing that was trying to happen for a minute. I think we're, I think we're still finding a lot of traction with sort of audience extras and gold club and trying to do things like that. But um, I, I think... I think it's a challenge. I think it really is a challenge um, yeah, was, to market. I was thinking about that because um, I was thinking about how you and I, I was thinking about the next, you know, like, oh, it's the people who are starting a company. I think you and I are, are pretty comfortably entrenched in an indie mm -hmm. theater community from that period of the last 20 years. And I'm like, oh, how do other artists who are starting out, what is it that they do to find a large, to ripple the effect for that community to grow? And we don't have to solve that right now, but I'm glad, that, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that you acknowledged like, oh, you don't know either because there are these little things that are trying, but nothing got the traction of time out. You know, right. once upon a time when we moved, when I first moved, it was the Village Voice, you know, and then it was time out mm -hmm. and then it was Martin Denton and Rochelle and, and then they really solidified a community and uh, the New York Innovative Theater Awards like was the, felt like an outcome and a, of that. And I still haven't figured out like how to grow it because when you talked about the first company you started, I'm like, yeah, the average company lasts three years, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. then, and then people do exactly what you said. They're like, oh, well, I'd like to go get a, it's a lot of work to build a company. I'd like to go start a career. Um, yeah. And I, so don't have an answer on that. I just was interested to acknowledge and, and, if, and to hear your thoughts on it. And I like that you say artistic directing is the greatest job in the world because I think that's why I started a theater company as if I wanted to do that. And, and exactly for the reasons you said is to bring something that didn't exist before into to fruition and, and, and for a reason and putting it in contrast with another play. And, and now you, and you're really doing that. You're doing that with all the reading series, all the development of new work. And what is the, what do you think motivates you to do that? What do you think motivates you to keep to keep initiating doing the two new plays you're doing? It's so funny because I think it every 
every time I get to a point where I'm like, well, I kind of, I'm kind of out of new plays, right? Like I've, 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 we've had, a, we had a lit new plays to do and um, I, we, we produced them or we read them or we got them ready and, and we did them. And well, then we'll, we'll just get through these five, right? And that'll be the new plays we're going to get through. And then you get to the fourth one and five more have popped in because there's so many, there's so many exciting things that people can write about. There's so many good writers out there, so many people that need an opportunity to get their work in front of people. And there's so many things that I think ask, for me at least, ask really interesting questions, especially right now when we're in such a volatile time, politically, socially, uh, you know, all, all these things, there's always something and a new ideas for someone to, to explore. And so um, I, I find that I, I, I'm, every time I think I'm gonna run out of new plays that are really exciting, there's, there's another one out there that, I, 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 that grabs me and says, oh, you gotta, you gotta do this one. Don't, don't sleep on this. Um, yeah, I'm being, a, I'm being uh, selfish on the question a little bit because I know, I mean, I, I know that you're living large financially on the boomerang. Theater. Oh yeah, of course, yes, yeah. totally. Yes, you see my palatial mansion, yeah. Yeah, when I say the inspiration, that's what I, because I'm thinking about people who, you know, you don't have to think about the audience, but I'm thinking like, oh, I want to start a company. You know, I was just at a college with the, this year's college collab and somebody mm -hmm. asked about being an artistic director and how to do that. And, you know, I talked about what was useful to learn, but then I talked about the realities of raising money. And, you know, it's one thing, because it's artistically, yes, all of a sudden the next artist comes up, the next five plays come up, but that means 23 years of raising money and 23 years of saying, oh, we're going to go to the chain and mm -hmm. pay the rent. We're going to put it down. We're going to hope people come. Yeah. yeah. And I guess that's where I'm like, that's the inspiration. And I think it's maybe it's just simply like I got it because the plays are there and they're important. Yeah, I think that's really what it is. I mean, you know, the plays as a, I know as a writer and as a director, I, I, I don't ever want to think I know that there are things that I've got in my back pocket that have got to see the light of day. And that I used to talk to somebody about, about a play that I really wanted to do. And I said, you don't understand. I am sitting on a winning lottery ticket right here. All I've got to do is find enough money to be able to cash it in. And this is a thing that is going to change the way people think about something or, the, or our fortunes or the world or whatever. I'm sitting on a goal. I'm, I'm, I've got Willy Wonka's ticket right here. We just got to do it. And whether that did or didn't, uh, you know, it's hard, these things are hard to measure, right? But every time I get one of those, I think, oh my God, I, how do I, I got to, we've got the winning lottery ticket here. We've got to get, we've got to cash it in. And, uh, and that's, that's what it seems like every time. And so then it just becomes a matter of, well, how do we have to cash it in, right? Like, okay, we can run it for three weeks. Okay, we can afford that. Okay, we, it's a cast of four, great. We want to, we've got to, we can do that. How big of a set do we need? Great. Super. Let's, let's get it going. When is the right time? When is, when is, when are we all free? When do we have the headspace and the, and the runway to raise money for it? Great. All right. Let's go. That's great. I love hearing that. I love hearing the, cause I was like, what motivates you? And I think, oh, the winning lottery ticket, but you measured the value of the lottery ticket. It's not that you're going to get to run Wonka chocolate it's that, <laughs> or that you're going to get unlimited money. It's that I'm going to change the conversation. Yeah, I'm going to impact the way people view the world, and that is the that I heard is the motivator, and that's freaking that's great because because you know if that's not there, why do the work? <laughs> and it, what's fun about it too is even when I think oh I've got the winning lottery ticket, this is going to change everything. I am still always surprised 
about what actually changes when it's done, right? Because I think, oh, I'm going to do this show and then a thousand people are going to see it. And then they're going to be like, oh my gosh, now I think differently about this particular topic or issue or story or whatever. But often I don't always anticipate, well, look at what the actors get to do. Look what the designers get to do. Look at how this has been changed. Like there's it, the ripple effects of doing it are so unpredictable and exponential that it's, it's, it, 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 that's what's so exciting as well, because you think you know what's going to happen and you never know what's going to happen, you know? Yeah, I agree. I think it's funny when I talk about the college collab project, you know, initially the impact was, well, we're going to develop a play through multiple productions. That play is going to be good. And then I realized, oh, that, that next thing is like, well, that playwright's going to grow for a year and a half of development. They're going to grow. Never thinking until you actually put it into practice of like, oh, it's miracle grow for the students. It's, you know, and yeah. the conversations that happen for the year and a half and the ripple effect. And that's exactly it. And you don't know because, you know, maybe you change a thousand people. Maybe they all go out and become advocates into the world to create social change. Yeah, I was just on a webinar, I think last week, because I would, you know, aside from the artistic standpoint, I'm also doing grants and the financial things and all the things that I, I have grown to find super interesting um, over the time. And one of the things, it was a great, it was a podcast about measuring impact for grant applications. And I was like, okay, great. This is something we're very, it's very difficult to chant to quantify in the arts. How do you, and one of the things that they talked about was factoring in qualitative versus quantitative results. So qualitative, the quantitative being, hey, we did a show, a thousand people saw it. It ran for 13 performances. It employed this many people and it, we paid out this much money. We had a budget of this. We had ticket sales of that. Very numbers. But the other side of it that is so hard to, quanti- to, to account for in the arts is that ripple effect of a thousand people saw it. They went home and talked to their friends about it or they went out for drinks about it and talked about it. And now that idea or that whatever, how long it stuck with them. What did they think about the next day when they, were, when they had to make a decision or, or think about an issue or... Um, relate to another person. And that little thing was just a little extra shading of color in their, in their brain or their, or their soul or whatever it is like that, that changes things. And it's impossible to quantify. And yet we know that it's a thing that happens. It's a magical thing that happens. And uh, it's why the arts are so hard to fund, honestly. Right. <laughs> Cause we can't well, tell anybody. Yeah, because it's because it is not quantifiable is interesting because if you're doing it in numbers, a thousand doesn't seem that big. Right. right? But you're creating, and this is the thing that I think is very important. The theater is creating a personal experience and not, and not, I don't want to say that in a soft light, you know, like, oh, it's, you know, you had a feeling. But like, <laughs> really creating the experience of not only, you know, it's interactive in the fact that the audience showed up. And so they, they had an experience in journeying, just like you said that the artist who worked on the project had an experience. And the impact of that is on the quality of the experience. Yeah. And, and that is, if, if, you can, if you can figure out ways, if we can figure out ways to capture that, you know, people t- telling us six months later what it, how it changed them or that email yeah. you get from uh, somebody who participated as an audience or an artist who said how it affected them, it's, it's incredible because that's that's the impact a thousand is not a big number when you compare it to you know who's watching film and television yeah when you see the personal experience change that's yeah i'm glad you said it because that's that's the work you're going for 
you know, ultimately. Totally. What got you thinking, knowing like, oh, we're we're not just a new company putting up a plan rep. We we're at the next level. We're I like to leave that open for however you want to define next level. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But is there something that happened where you said uh, where you could track it and say, oh, something's changed? Yeah, uh, it's funny because you're gonna you're gonna like this answer. Um, it was we had from 2003 to 2008 we were able to be in residence at Center Stage New York with all of our friends at Impetuous and Labyrinth and you know, uh, Vampire Cowboys and so many other people that were there at the time. Um, and we got a chance to find our feet and sort of get that stability and repetition of not being as itinerant as, as we were in Oregon um, and, uh, and really build community. And that was the point where I think we really got a chance to institutionalize is a bad word, but sort of solidify our organization in a way that allowed us to repeat things rather than reinvent things each time. You know, we were, we had a systems were in place. We knew how big the stage was. We knew how many seats it could hold. We knew when we had to load in, we knew how it came in the building. We knew all of these things. We knew how much it cost to build a set on that particular stage. And it allowed us to, in a way, Put, put some of those things uh, on autopilot because we knew exactly what those challenges were. We, could, we had solved them already and we could take on new challenges, you know, and that, that was huge for us. It still is. I mean, I don't think we'd be here today had we not had those five years of, of three plays in rep um, and the audiences that came with that, the artists that came with that, the uh, recognition, the reviews, all of that. I mean, I think that that's, so I, the credit goes to Jill DeArmond and, Jin Kim and everybody who came through that space and allowed, you know, put, put their big, put their shoulder to the wheel and allowed us to, to, to grow. And it's, it's true. It's very funny when you brought me immediately back to that and like seeing, seeing those calendars on the wall with green writing of like boomerang (laughs) and like who scheduled when and yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and not only in, in Jill and Jin, you know, who now, you know, center stage was incredibly important to all of us and in a home. And also they had a lobby that was a hangout. And so all those other theater companies that were in residence there, you know, a lot of us went to see each other's plays and get to know each other. You yeah. Know? And that all of a sudden is a bond to build off of, which is different um, than we're going one in, one out, you know, we're gonna go do a show at Art New York and the next one we're gonna be over here, which yeah. is happening right now, which is what, uh, you know, that's the value of the residency. Yeah, it, it was, it was tremendous. And, uh, you know, the, the coin of the realm is space in this town. Sometimes, you know, you have to have a place to do it. And um, it's challenging right now for, for theater companies, but also anybody who's trying to run a space, you know, we, we have seen so many of uh, spaces have sort of disappeared both pre pandemic and now post pen, you know, during the pandemic. So the fight for this real estate uh, to keep theater alive um, is always challenging. And it's one of the reasons I really want, wanted to do a show at the chain because they are my friends. They've been struggling. They were in Long Island city. They moved to 36th street. 36th street became a, 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 a real tough area for a while during the pandemic because of a variety of different things that happened on that street with hoteling and homeless and, uh, also the, uh, the absence of foot traffic because we're used absence to of foot traffic. Yes, yes, exactly. So the ability to do a show there and 
bring people back to that space and, you know, give them money. And, you know, I often think like, I'm sure you do too. Like, all right, if I'm giving my $10,000 to somebody to when I'm going to do a show, who do I really want to give it to? I don't always want to give it to, you know, I'll give it to the chain if you're really good about <laughs> yeah, it. We don't have to say who we don't want to give it to. <laughs> but, you don't want to have to answer those people, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And honestly, everybody's good, but like I have, I have my choices, you know, like. No, but you're right. Every time we spend money, you're, you get to choose where to spend it. And it is, you know, what's so great is at the independent level, what is viewed as a little bit of money is really valuable to the people who get it. and put Yeah, it for sure. And when we talk about impact on art, you know, the, the, the art spread the money around better than anyone. It's funny, you know, talk about that. Like I did, a, I, I sat around once and tried to figure this out. Um, you know, I think it was when we, we had our 15 year anniversary. So that was 2013. Uh, and I was trying to figure out like, okay, I'm going to look at our budgets for the first 15 years and figure out how much money we have raised and spent in New York City doing the arts for these 15 years. And it was, it was close to like a quarter of a million dollars, right? Because we were doing, I mean, and that's just a stupid number, right? I have no, I don't have that much money, but somehow over the years, people donated and we sold tickets and we bake sales and beer nights and whatever the heck, right? Like before you knew it, you know, if you have 15 years at, at 50 grand a year, you're, getting close you know you're putting in some numbers at a certain point you're putting in you got 15 years at 50 and you're at 75 you're at three quarters of a million dollars and yeah and i also think what's interesting is i immediately want to see like look at boomerang's website for anybody who's listening because the amount you do for that amount of that's not a lot of money it's a lot of money to me and you we don't have yeah tons yeah for yeah but but uh but for a theater company, you know, one off Broadway production might be a quarter of a million dollars, you know, or, mm-hmm. and, and yet all that money, the three quarters of a million is circulating. You're raising it, but it's circulating. It's going into the artists. It's going into these spaces that support independent artists. And I think that's the, the thing. It's sort of that joke when we, when you're starting out of like everybody passes the same $20. <laughs> yeah. But in a way that is what funds, the artist because it stays and then it and then the ripple effect of the thousand people who come to the play go and eat on 36th street which yes. is why that is a thriving safer community when those independent theaters popped up on 36 38th street you mm-hmm. know uh the rehearsal studio at 520 and you know yeah and, yeah all those so valuable so valuable to those neighborhoods and so valuable to those artists and and so valuable to the city with that residency in that five years and that in that getting to the next level because you you because of all the things you said systematic you know being able to create a system for things building relationships what do you think you carry into the room now when you're thinking of when yeah whatever the room is as an artistic director mm-hmm. sometimes it's fundraising sometimes it's talking to a new artist about working with you or whatever but whatever meaning I don't want to answer it for you <laughs> what do you what do you carry into the room with you that you didn't in 1999? I think I have a lot more faith in people uh, than I did. Uh, not, not that I didn't have faith in people, but I was thinking about what I would carry into the room. And I think that when I was a lot younger, I often thought that what I needed to do was come in and sort of 
lay down the law, right? Like, here's the vision. You're going to fit into the vision. We're going we're gonna to make this thing the way I hear it and the way I see it. And that's going to be, you know, you're going to love the way we do it. Uh, you know, like this brash confidence of this is the, this is the, my way or the highway sort of idea. And I think that the, and part of that probably was dealing with younger actors and who, who often, you know, were sort of finding their feet as well as I was finding my feet. And um, how, how are we doing this together? Somebody had to know what was going on. <laughs> and uh, now as, as I have gotten the chance to work with some tremendous pre uh, performers and directors and designers, I am much more open to talking about what my vision of the world is or my vision of the production and then letting them say, and then my vision is this. And these two things meld together. Or these three things meld together. And we make a thing that is way better than my initial idea that is more fully realized than I would have done on my own. And I, um, that, that's very exciting to me. Again, like not knowing, you know, when we talk about this idea of like, we're gonna do a play, we don't know what happens at the end. When we do a design or we have a production meeting and we, we you know, we're building a set, I'm so excited to see what, what it looks like when it's done and what, what happens on that set and like what happens in that room. And it doesn't have to be, my idea is rarely the best idea. Uh, and so being more comfortable with that idea of, uh, Let's all let's all get together and best idea wins and it doesn't matter and um, let's 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 gather let's let's gather together it's it's very sports oriented right we were talking about this you know I don't care if I hit first second or third uh, I'll get a hit you knock me in later I'll get a hit I'll knock somebody else in you know it it's all teamwork that's that's a great thing and actually I just love that you started with the idea of faith in other people, because it's true that, that it also rests in a sense of security to be able to say, I don't know, you know, and, yeah. and let's find out. And I just have to say this little thing when you said I could bat first, second, or third, one of the things that I talk about in ensemble building is just remember, because it's easy to complain, you know, and it's easy to complain about the weakest link. And I'm like, yeah, on a team, somebody has to bat ninth, like, you know, and they're not the weakest. They're the ones who get you back to the top of the lineup and they keep the, they keep the, the order going. And so just remember that everybody on the team serves a purpose and they yeah. all have the same goal. Yes. You know. Nobody's hitting ninth so they can go up and strike out three times. They're getting it because they want to get not three hits, right? And score three runs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm a very, I was thinking about this with, I think I'm thinking about this because I'm thinking about this with me. Um, what's your aspiration? What do you think? Like when you think now, like, okay, I've got this thing. And I didn't, I didn't send that question ahead of time. I was thinking about it this morning. <laughs> well, I was thinking about it this morning because I came back from the college collab, you know, and we're in our eighth. People know who listen to the podcast that we, you know, commissioned like Leah last year and do productions develop plays through productions with colleges. And it's an amazing program. And the student just came back from Austin P University and the students get so much out of it. And I, and I just witnessed this thing you talked about, about my answer doesn't have to be the best. I was listening, I was in a conversation with the two different college directors and the playwright and myself talking about the play afterwards. But I was listening because they were asking questions that I hadn't thought of. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't my question of aspiration was going, 
oh, this program works. All right, well, what's next for me? You know, I know this is working. I know I'm doing it. And what does it look like? And I thought, oh, I'm going to talk to Tim today. I'm going to ask him, what does he think? Is there something that he wants to do next? You know, because you're, and, and coming out of the pandemic is a challenge enough, you know, and, mm. and, and just surviving is an aspiration in theater at this point. But I was curious if you had a goal, if you were thinking like, you know what, I, I want to get, even if it's, I want to get my plays done more or, or I'm really hoping for this foundational support or this residency again, like Center Stage had in 2003. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a ton of goals. I think for short term, um, for the company, um, we want to make sure that we're, we are supporting artists in the best way possible. You know, I think that coming out of the pandemic, um, I think there was a mindset pre-pandemic and pre, pre-2019, let's say, that the way you supported artists was giving them things to work on. And then if you were able to throw them some money, that's just gravy. Now, for me, at least personally, that is, those two things are more in balance. There's no way that I can reasonably ask people coming out of this pandemic to work for free um, or, you know, without at least making some effort of making sure that everybody gets paid and get them, getting them as much money as possible because New York City is expensive. Everybody's been out of work. There's no way that the $25, you know, um, small token for a large amount of work is, is the answer anymore. So we're trying to make sure that foundationally and individually donors and, and some of the things that we're working on support getting money to artists so that they can continue to be in this industry and not have to leave it for other things. Um, for me personally, um, I, I think that, yes, I do want to get my plays done more. So if anybody's out there and saying, gosh, we really wish we had a play by another white guy, I am your guy. I'm ready to go. Uh, but that said, um, I think I off, I, when, I, when I came out of college, I really thought that the greatest job in the world was to be a director and to be an artistic director as a, as a sort of side hustle to being a director, right? Like you get to program your own plays and you get to work on whatever you want. I think that now I, I lean more toward artistic directing because I do believe that um, I, get, I get so excited about, do, about championing work. Um, and I really think that's where my, my next steps are is continuing to be an advocate for and champion and develop new, new writers and new works by, you know, whatever relationships we've developed so that people can continue to sort of see themselves represented in, in the industry to the fullest extent that they can. Right. So I'm developing a new musical with some friends um, that is uh, set in the 1980s. And it is a, charting the African-American experience of being a um, musical theater performer in New York City in the 1980s. Um, and I don't have a whole lot of experience with those topics, but I'm, I, I feel very confident and passionate about championing them to the fullest extent that they can get that project up and running um, and that people can see it because it's, it's glorious. Um, it's called Triple Threats. And uh, it's written by Tracy Conyerly and Nehemiah Luckett, who are just beautiful, beautiful people. Um, so I, I think that's where I'm headed. I think that, you know, regardless of, of what my plays do, my job is to make sure that the people who have great things to say and important things to say get a stage to say it. 
Yeah, that's it's great, and I think that is. I think that the the shift you're talking about is really important. I think it's funny. I it's funny. I'm thinking about the fact that you and I have a lot in common in that way. I was thinking, you know, coming out of the pandemic, I did. I started thinking about, oh, you know, do I need another? And nothing wrong with what I'm about to say. Do I need enough to do another reading in public? Because I thought it was very hard to draw attention to new work during the pandemic because doing things on Zoom was good, but after a while it wasn't generating, it wasn't like the thousand people were leaving with a buzz talking about a play. It was almost right, like, right. oh, thank God we're still doing something. Because <laughs> you know? I don't know, in all seriousness, and I sort of use this as the example of, you know, the lighting in a bottle thing, but, you know, would Hamilton have been discovered on Zoom? You know, would it have been? Yeah. You know, it, it, I don't know if anything was, maybe. I'm glad I did a lot of work on Zoom and I'm glad, mm -hmm. you know, that experience happened, but I wasn't sure what the value of how people are going to recognize new artists and new theater at this time. Are they at this moment, this exact moment, not yeah. three months, six months, it'll be different. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, it's not a reading. I don't want to get lost in, I don't want somebody to, you know, not get the value of it. Mm -hmm. one thing yeah, yeah. Here, your play is valuable, but sometimes you're doing it to promote your play. And uh, I want to make sure it's promoted right. Um, but I thought about that money for opportunity is like, right, that's what people need at this moment. They need to, they need a way to figure out how to stay in the game. Yeah. You know? And, you know, we, I was talking to a, a producer friend the other day and he was saying, oh man, I hate Zoom. I, I you know, I'm done with Zoom. We, we want to get back in the, in the room and all that. And I think we're never going to do another Zoom production. And I was like, well, you know, I think that there is value in figuring out what, what are the things that Zoom can give you and what are the things that you can make better with Zoom, you know, that, that you didn't, you know, we, a friend of mine was doing a production of, I think the Oristaya or something very early on in the pandemic. And they were doing live performances every night on Zoom from their houses with staging and with depth of field and with costumes and like there's a lot that can be done i think that can be beneficial that isn't just boxes and heads reading off the other side of the screen um, and so exploring what those things are um, i think that there there's still value in because because as you you know we don't it doesn't always get back to the money but here it does the economics of, of a zoom production are so comfortable for new work to, to happen, right? It's very low risk. So what, what can you do with it? You've, you've got a, it's not a golden ticket, but it's a, it's a coupon. <laughs> like, cash it in, you know? That's right. And I do, I have found it incredibly valuable for play development over the past year and a half. Yeah, yeah. You know, because you get, because also, you know, the farm can work with people in Seattle and Denver and yes, you know, Montana as well as Brooklyn and, you know, all sitting around on the same table, metaphorically, the Zoom room and reading the play, hearing the play, talking about the play. And it is incredibly valuable. And it's the coupon to turn in later when you want to figure out how to showcase and promote that to the world. Yeah, it's not an either or. It's the, these, these things can complement each other in some way. And we just have to determine how, how we want them to go together. They're, they're two different things and they can both be on the table. Great. Um, 
My next question is like, it's a non sequitur, but it was something I was curious about because I saw that you got your MFA in writing <laughs> and playwriting. And when yeah. did you do that? I started that in the fall of 19 and finished up this spring, in the spring of 21. And was that virtual? It was, it was all supposed to be virtual with uh, three residencies as part of it in person in Pittsburgh. So it's, it was through a program uh, through Point Park University. Um, and it was a low residency writing for stage and screen master's program. And so we all got a chance, my cohort got a chance to go to Pittsburgh and be together in the summer of 19, um, which was terrific. I'd never been to Pittsburgh before and we got a chance to all meet each other and sort of hang out and, you know, shoot the breeze. And, um, and then we were supposed to come back for the summer of 20 and have a, uh, both a field trip to uh, great America, to a, to a theater and sort of see a regional theater and see a bunch of plays and rep, and then also have a television residency. And then we were supposed to come back together in 21 for a sort of out of the program uh, graduation. And so the last two residencies didn't happen in person. They happened over Zoom. Um, and uh, it, it was tremendous one way or the other. Um, we do miss each other in a way. Like we got to really bond in that first one. And then we never literally don't see, have never seen each other physically again since then. Um, so it's, it's bizarre, uh, but it, it, it was a lot of fun. It's great. I ask about it because I would, you know, it's funny when we were talking aspirational and you make the joke about, oh, I would like my writing, but I thought what I I didn't know, you know, you do a little, I do minimal, a little bit of research uh, <laughs> for these conversations. I and uh, and I was struck because you're, I know you're a writer and I know you're a director and I know you're an artistic director who's built something of substance. And I thought, oh, that's interesting that. You took time out for yourself to say like, oh, I'm gonna go, I wanna get this degree in writing. And uh, I was curious what motivated it, what inspired for you, what, where did you think like, oh, that's what I want, you know? Because as you said, like, if your plays get done, that would be great, but your personal work is gonna be making sure other voices get heard. I feel like when I started, um as I was an actor and I thought, wow, I really want to play what, whatever, you know, I really want to be in a show. And then you're like, well, I can be in a show. That show will get done if I direct it. So now I'm a director and you're like, great, super. That's more autonomy. And then you go, oh, well, you know, I need to, somebody to produce this show. Fine. I'll just produce it too. Now I'm a producer. And then uh, as I've gotten to, as a producer, I've gotten to respect and know and love so many writers um, that I started to write as well. I thought I had something to say as well. And so um, I started to write. And then at a certain point, I recognized that I was sort of teaching myself to be a playwright because I had been a director and an actor and a producer. And then I was backdooring some of the ways in which I had learned what plays are um, just from experience, not from a actual, you know, actual, actual education. Uh, and so uh, I, I got a chance to, to do this program and uh, I went into it thinking, well, this is going to be how I solidify my understanding of playwriting. And it, and it absolutely did. But it also opened up for me the idea of storytelling writ large, be it, you know, what, what story is a play and what story is a movie and what story is a TV show and what story is a podcast, what story is a comic book. 
like all of those things suddenly came on the table in ways that I had not expected to, to think about. And so it all having touched all of those little pockets reminded me how much I love plays um, because they do something so special. And it also reminded me that the thing that plays do are built in a way that is different than we build a movie or we build a television show and to um, respect them, to respect those things that make them special and not try and say, well, where's its third act turn, you know, like, like we would for a movie, but to allow, you know, things like, you know, Andy Baker's The Flick to sort of be just like idiosyncratic and special and unlike anything else and like, let it let it do the thing it wants to do rather than try and make it into a formula that people understand because they have to sell it we can sell it but it also can be as as unique and and weird as it wants to be yeah and we're we're, yeah well that's great and i'm glad that hey i'm glad it was a good experience but it's interesting to hear the progression of the artistry and the empowerment and the and the idea of like because i started to write for well i started to write for many reasons, but discovered in writing that like, oh, right, I have something to say. And it's much more personal and effective because it's coming from me and not just through, you know, through someone else's words as a draft yeah. or something. And really great to hear. Writing is so personal. It, it's a, it, I think directing is personal too and, and producing is personal, but writing is so personal. Um, and I think I've told the story before that I remember the first time I had a play of mine read, you know, I got all of my friends together, people who I love and who love me. And I remember just staring straight into the ground because I could not meet anyone's eyes as they were writing what I thought about things. And I was like, oh my God, it's so personal. It's so embarrassing. And, you know, uh, that was the, that was the moment, you know, I'm sure I turned feet red and like, you know, I'm sure you've probably found this as well. Like the, that revelation, that reveal of where you are in the world and how you are emotionally, physically, psychically, whatever is so, is so different than other things. And so um, it's healthy and it's also like terrifying. <laughs> Glad you said it's healthy. I think it is healthy cleansing. And, yes. And yet hilarious because every play is completely autobiographical, even though you're in <laughs> this fictional world for it yes. to take place in. Right. Um, before we wrap up, um, I'd love to, that, this conversation has been great and I really appreciate it. Um, what, do you have advice, anything you would, you thought, you know, hey, I, I would say this to myself when I was starting out or I, or, or I want to share this with people beginning their journey now or. You know, I, I, um, I went to my alma mater, my undergrad alma mater, Hofstra University uh, in like 2011 maybe and to speak on a panel of like for as a person who would come through the program and speak to undergrads and stuff and I remember being so um effusive that what you need to do was outwork your competition right and I think you know like put in the hours you know make sure that you know everybody thinks they're talented but you you know very very like rah-rah coach Taylor every sports metaphor we've ever had like you need to get in there and you need to hit baseballs until your hands bleed. And then you're going to know what it's like to hit fastball. Like, and uh, I think everybody in the room was like, I think he's a maniac. <laughs> I think he's lost his mind. Cause that doesn't sound like the arts. That doesn't sound fun. That sounds like it doesn't sound creative. 
Uh, clear heart, clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we need a little more clear eyes and full hearts than, uh, you know, um, broken down and crumpled on the sidelines and pulled hamstrings. Uh, that said, I do think there's a value in sort of the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours sort of putting in time in a way that feels like you have get, uh, have some muscle memory of what it takes to do it, right? And sort of my wife is an actor and she often goes into um, auditions. And if there are spaced out, you know, one in May and, you know, a bunch more a month later or so, she will often have to remind herself that, oh, I've done this before. Yeah, it's not, it's not nerve wracking. I know how to walk in the room. I know how to walk and talk. I know how to say hi. I know how to smile. But that, that disconnect of, of the muscle memory from with space in between sometimes will can throw people, right? And so you got to put, I think you do have to put in enough to love it enough and find the love in it that you are cool putting in your hours, Re read your, reading your plays and like not getting sucked into Netflix or like, you know, putting in writing for an hour or whatever it is that connects you to the thing so that you feel you've got some muscle memory and some juice going that you can have something to say and, and have an idea when you get into the rehearsal room, you know, you're, you're comfortable and ready to go because you're not scared of it because you have put in all the time it takes to know what a curveball looks like. And you're not like, Oh my God, what the fuck is that? I've never seen a curveball before, you know, like, or I don't know what it's like to go into an audition or I don't know what it's like to go to a, you know, to write a play, you know, put in, try it all and, and then put, find the thing you love and put in some time on it. Great, thank you, Tim. Uh, just good to talk to talk to you, talk to him, talk to somebody else who's uh, thinking about artistic directing, the idea of creating opportunities for others, and like what he was saying at the end about the advice of put in the work. You know that it's also to pace yourself, but and knowing pacing yourself, but also knowing you have to put in the time to build up that skill set. And like the friendships I was talking about in the intro, you know those. The skills don't go away if you put in the work. But I also like that there seemed to be a sense of shifting of balance and perspective of, you know, what that looks like. And I was also struck, you know, I was talking about gratitude and at the beginning and the Thanksgiving theme. But it was nice to talk about people who really made an impact on our community, Martin and Rochelle Denton with IndieTheater.com. It was, you know, they were, they were, people who were recognizing the off-off-Broadway theater when there was no one, and changing the name, basically, I think, of the indie indie producers, and created a created not only a place of recognition, but also another hub, even though it was online, but a shared community, and then center stage that we talked about, and, and Jill and Jen uh, running that and creating another home for artists, and those things are really important, and both may not be there. Their impact is still there, and Jill and Jenna, you know, center stage isn't there, and but they run a company called Developing Artists, which works with youth uh, in New York City and year-round that's doing great work, and they continue to thrive. And a lot of the companies out of that space did. And it was, just, it was great to be taken back and being reminded of 
of that time, but also the foundation that it gave for people to be launched and build their career. And so I'm hoping that there are centers and, and institutions and places that feel like home to give that foundation of growth for the next generation of artists. You know, I think that's one of the impulses and inspirations for the farm is to create a foundation of support for the early career artists, for the, to, you know, to create connections and pathways and build peer community of support like, like we found in Center Stage, uh, build that community of support through programming and also connect with mentors and other artists and, and uh, really a model for that. Very funny. I wasn't going to mention. I wasn't thinking of mentioning this, but as I realized, building that foundation of support and what allows you to continue to do it, the thing that Tim and I touched on a little bit is, you know, the fundraising and and support that all of you give the organization, so that we can continue to do the work. And you know, we're there's a you can always go to the farm www.farmtheater.org to donate, and we also have a Facebook Tuesday Giving End of the Year campaign happening and and. And that, you know, all of the support and all of it, uh, every every dollar donation, you know, allows us not only to continue the conversation with you through the podcast, but supports the grad school audition workshop. It supports all of the programming we're doing and allows us to create, you know, opportunity. I love what Tim said of seeing something to fruition. And the other thing it allows us to do is be flexible and be in conversation with you. And at times like this, when Tim and I were talking or I was asking him, you know, well, how does the next generation do that? I wonder how they do that. And um, as for when you tell us, <laughs> when you share with me and the farm what you need and what you're working on, your support allows the support of listeners and the support of the farm community. It you know allows us to be flexible to create opportunities to support and and create new programming and uh, opportunities to make that happen. And I'm, you know, my final. Th- gratitude and thankfulness is that we've been able to do that, you know, not only for the years of the farm, but throughout the pandemic, you know, creating teaching opportunities for people in the community, creating new commissions for playwrights and, uh, and being able to reach out to people across the country because of the Zoom and uh, utilization of Zoom in all of our community. And so that's, it's the flexibility of being able to serve the community in this shifting time. And that flexibility is made possible by your support. So I am grateful for that. I am thankful for that. And with that, we're out.